Glenn, and uh, I'm the pastor here at Willpart Church South, and just want to echo what Luke, my uh, very able son, said earlier on this morning. If it's your first time, we are glad you are here, and uh, we're in the middle of a series. We're actually coming to the end of a series in Romans chapter 8, so if you've got your Bibles, then please grab them and your, uh, your mobile devices. We've got new internet. It is roaringly fast, I've been told, so you can look up, highlight copy, make notes at an incredible speed, uh, almost as fast as a real Bible and a proper notebook. I, that's what I've been told. I don't know. But you can test that out this morning, uh, but for not too long, uh, that would be uh, wonderful. Let's read uh, a couple of verses, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to jump straight into verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave, us up for, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also give us all things? If God is for us. I just want to spend some time on this, on this short phrase. You can just leave that up, Norm. Uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us. You know, some of the biggest dreams, some of the biggest possibilities start with the question, what if? What if? And that is something I'm going to be saying a lot this morning. What if? And, and if you need to write it down or text it to yourself, I want you to think about this this week. What if? I remember in 2002, back end of 2002, beginning of 2003, Sarah and I, and as a family, we started asking the question, what if... God wants us to move to Canada? What if God wants us to do something completely different? What if God doesn't want me to continue in the school administration kind of way that I was going? What if? What if God is asking us to do something risky, courageous, different, and move countries and make, take our family? What if? See, every dream is fulfilled when you start with the question, what if? Think about right now, in the air, right now, we're told one million people are in the air traveling at over 300 miles an hour because two pastor's kids started with the question, what if it's possible for us to fly? What if it's possible? Two brothers set about, Wilbur and Orville Wright, to answer this question, what if? Because it started with their dad coming home with a little helicopter type thing which you, you could throw in the air and it, and, it, and it went down like that, you know, the children's toys. And they started asking the question, what if? The question, what if, was asked by a young nurse, uh, Amelia Earhart. What if it's possible for me to be the first woman to fly across the Atlantic? What if? And it's Father's Day today, and I want us to ins- be inspired this morning, not just the dads in the room, but also anybody, whether it be the young or, or the, the not-so-young, the moms and the dads, whoever you might be, I want us to be inspired to ask the question, what if what God says in His Word is true? What if He is for us and not against us? One of my favorite quotes is by Emily Dickinson, the, the poet, and she said this, I dwell in possibility. I dwell in possibility. If there was ever going to be a phrase that describes me, 
That is it. I dwell in possibilities. So we're very blessed as a church because we have uh, um, we have Wendy and Grant Delcourt who who are in in they're actually in the house right now. And Hannah, hello. And Wendy is uh, is a qualified strength finders coach. Would that be right, Wendy? You put your head down as soon as I said Wendy. So strength finders is a really interesting thing. I'd highly encourage you to get the book, chat with Wendy. She would love to sit down and take you through your gifts and stuff. There's a community group. Ask Wendy to come in and spend some time. She'd love to take you through it. We're going to be doing it more over the next year or so. Um, and it's important. But here are, my, here are my top strengths. Just listen to this. Okay, remember I dwell in possibility. These are my, these are, this is how God has wired me. Okay, uh, my, my top strengths are this. I'm strategic, uh, futuristic, ideation, so I'm always thinking of ideas, belief, activator, and maximizer. Now, first of all, the first time that I did this, so futuristic, strategic, ideation, maximizer, uh, activator, and what was the other one? Belief. Wendy said to me, she said, you've got to be careful with this mix because this can really quickly equal burnout. And she was right. Because that's what happened about three years ago. So they all sound wonderful and great. But let me tell you, my strengths mix causes me a lot of challenge. Because I'm always thinking about the possibilities. I'm always thinking about the future. I'm always thinking strategy. I'm always a little bit, why aren't people doing this more? And I really believe that as a church that we can do amazing things. I'm wired. That's how I think. And it causes me challenge because I'm always thinking in the future and I need people around me to go, okay, this is how this might work in the now. Because I'm always thinking the future. So I thought it'd be fun to ask Wendy. I texted her this week and she sent me such a long text. She has amazing texting abilities. I asked her this, which, uh, which of uh, my strengths as a pastor do you think caused me the most challenge? Boy, here we go. You ready? This is just, I'm just going to read what she said. Futurists are visionaries. Not everyone can catch the concept timely, which can frustrate. Amen. Ideation people have a hundred ideas to our one. They can be intimidating for some. (laughs) Yeah. It can be intimidating for some, and it can be a struggle for me, as you find it hard to land on the best one, so you start many and can battle with follow-through. You're not easily offended when an idea doesn't take root, because you've already got one ready, whereas some have one or two in a lifetime. Activators are starters of movements, but they absolutely need the focus people, that's another strength, to help them see it to a strong finish. So if your people don't step up with those strengths, it can be defeating. Belief is an intimidating strength for some as it represents his non-negotiable core values that you live by. If someone feels they fall short of those, you may feel less than you or below you. Maximizers are always slightly disappointed as they immediately see paths to improve things. Status quo and comfortable is their most restless place, but culture at large likes comfortable, so there lies the tension. Strategic people can be in their mind too long and find that they're paralyzed by analysis. Choosing a path to be all in can be a challenge. A brainstorming team is always a benefit for strategic minds. There is a glimpse of a rather large school of thought. Wow, Wendy. And if there's a strength texting, you have it, first of all. Secondly, that is such an amazing descriptor of the tension that I feel because I live in possibilities. I constantly think about what if. 
What if, and I understand that as a pastor and as a communicator and as somebody who is called to lead this church, I'm always thinking about what we could do. So here's, here's what I want us to do this morning. I want you just to come into my camp for a few minutes. I just want you to come on to switch off your yeah buts, but what about this? Just switch that off if you can, and I'm probably asking something impossible, Wendy might be saying, but... I just want you to come into my side of the camp just for a second and ask the question, what if? What if? What if God is for us? What if God is for us and nobody can be against us? What if we took God at his word? What if God is for us? All things are possible, Matthew 19 verse 26. Nothing is impossible, uh, Luke 1 verse 37. What if we can do all things according to Philippians 4.13? That if God is actually for us, if God is behind us, with us, in us, around us, then what would your life look like? What would your family look like? What would your decisions be like? What would be the way that you use your money be like? What would this church be like? What would these surrounding houses around our church be like? What would our city be like if we truly believed that God is for us and took him at his word? What if we took him at his word? What would life look like? See, it's been said that God created us in his image and then we return the favor. A.W. Tozer said it this way, a God... Who can, we've created a God who can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, nor astonish us, nor transcend us. But God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. He is in us. He's around us. He's able to do more than we can possibly imagine or think. His ways are higher than our ways, the scripture says. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is powerful. He is able. He is for us. And that belief, friends, should be our default setting regardless of your strength finder findings. So there's no, ah, yeah, but you're strategic and you're futurist or that's just the way you think. No, no, no. If we are a Christian, we have been called to take God at his word. And his word says, he is for us, he's around us, he's in us, he's behind us. He is always pushing towards a greater, more significant, more powerful, more ultimate church. That's his heart. What if? I wonder what life would be like if we actually lived in the what if we took risks. What if we did things differently? What if we were willing to step out and do something we've never done before? What if we tried new things? What if we prayed? What if we came to Willow One Prayer? What if we got up earlier and spent time in His Word and prayed and journaled? What if? What what would life be like if we did that? If we gave more, worked harder, volunteered more, got more passionate about the true calling that God has placed upon our lives? Because if God is really for us, what I can envision is something so much more than we have. Not just as a church, but as a city. And I believe strongly, and John Casosa reminds me of this regularly, that there's a calling placed upon people 
to be in a place at a certain time, at a certain moment in culture, to fulfill the calling that God has placed in them. And if you're just on a spiritual journey and you're not sure about Christianity, then you too have been wired to think through the what-if possibility. And you live it out every day. What if I can get that new car? What if I can get that new job? What if I can get that beautiful girl? Or what if I can get that handsome guy? What if I can just move out of this country or this city or this, this house? And what if I have this house? I think my life would be better. You see, we, we're wired to think this way. But we do ourselves short whenever our what if falls short of what we've actually been created for, which is far more than that. I'm going to be reading a lot more than my notes that I would normally, but I want to get my words right this morning. What if more Christians lived out the gospel? Surely it would have a significant and powerful and positive effect in our city and on the patterns of life in Kelowna. What if a gospel-centered renewal began at the south? Wouldn't philanthropy and generosity increase? Wouldn't justice and mercy increase? Wouldn't our city's welfare be sought after? Wouldn't we actually be missed if we weren't doing that? Wouldn't reconciliation and integrity and hope flood into our city if we, as Christians, took God at his word and believed that he is for us? What if the culture in in Kelowna had a gospel DNA? It would transform this whole Canargan Valley. What if we believe that? What if we actually worked towards that, prayed towards that, gave towards that, took risks on top of that? What if we became dissatisfied with where we're at and started looking towards a vision and a future that God has placed before us, lives transformed? What if we lived and prayed and gave and worked like God is for us? You see, what I do when I read the scriptures is I... I say to God, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. But the scripture tells me this, that we are filled with his power. We're given things that are beyond our imagination. Abilities that we're only scratching the surface of. He still uses his people, the scripture says. What if that is true? What if it's true that we are actually empowered to be his witnesses, Acts 1 verse 8? What if that's true? What if it's true that the church is called to be the hope for Kelowna? Not who's mayor, not who's in the council, not where the money is spent, not what social justice is happening or how generous people are or not, not how accepting we are, not what the Supreme Court says or whatever law is. What if, what if the hope of our city is placed upon the shoulders of the church like the Bible says? What if that's true? What if he still answers prayers and transforms lives? So when I think about all these possibilities, I'm, I, I, I then start thinking about the people. If God is for us, who can be against us? I think about the who. Who is it that we're called to? So quite a common frame of thinking is this, is that the church is called to people who are in trouble, in tension, or on transition. Very helpfully, with three T's. Trouble, transition, or what was the third one? Trouble, transition, or tension. What are the troubles? What are the transitions? What are the tensions that our culture is experiencing? So this is where, as a pastor, I start having to think and pray about who is it that we're called to share the gospel with? 
Who's in trouble? Who's in transition? Who's in tension? Who needs transformation? Fourth G, praise the Lord. Who, who's in transi- who needs transforming in Kelowna? Now, obviously, as a church, we're called to be cross-generational. We want to see young and we want to see old coming to know Jesus. We're called to everybody that we've been placed our circles in. Predominantly right now in Kelowna, there is a flooding in of families. So if I think about the mission area, I did a lot of research on this. This is the, this is the typical family in Kelowna. Just listen to this. I, don't, I think some of them may be appearing, may not be. So listen. By the way, a lot of this I'm in the middle of writing and I will be giving it out shortly. So the typical family who are in transition, tension, or trouble in Kelowna are this. They're between 33 and 40 years old, married, and considering a second or third child in the next two years. Both husband and wife both have a university education. This is average, okay? Don't go, well, that's not my neighbor. This is average, okay? Both husband and wife have a university education and have a household income of over, are you ready? 140000 a year. That's average. They are in need of one and a half incomes because they actually live a lifestyle of one and three quarter income. They have increasing debt resulting from the high cost of living due to pressure from a local and national culture that promotes instant gratification and leisure. I have to have that. Why? Because they have one. So I need something shinier and brighter with my income that won't actually buy it. So I'll go into debt to get it. Because what if I got it? Because then my life would be better. That's, that's our culture. Generally, they are seeking or in some form of transition. They want a new home. They want new, they want, uh, new kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. The new kids are on the way. Just take these old kids away. Give me new ones. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. New job, new friends, new schools, new toys, new experiences. Transition. These families are sensitive to spirituality, but they're not sure that Jesus is the real deal when it comes to providing them joy and happiness more than their toys and ways of life. You want to know that that's true? Go into Starbucks. When you put in milk in your wonderful coffee, have a look at the notice board. I will guarantee you that at any one time you will see some sort of poster that says something like this. Yoga or tarot reading or uh, some sort of spirituality. So don't think that we live in a culture of atheists. We definitely do not. We live in a culture that is desperately seeking spirituality. Many parents have some sort of exposure to religion as a child, but are now skeptical of uh, church and children, and are consumed in raising their children in a manner that was better than their parents did. That's the average, forgive me for putting it this way, target. Now, This is biblical because what Paul did is he said this, I'm going to be a Jew to the Jew to the Gentiles and become a Gentile. Paul contended for the gospel, but he also contextualized the gospel. He knew who it was that he was trying to reach. So as a church, that is who we're trying to reach. Well, there's not, what about the older people? Don't think by reading that that I'm saying no one else. I'm just saying this is, the, this is the group of people that are changing and orienting our culture in our city. They need transforming. So here are their primary concerns. Now, before we look at this list, we're going to show it one at a time, please, Norm. I want you to understand that this is from uh, years of observation 
pastoral experience and talking with people who know more than me. Okay? But I don't think you're going to see anything on here that makes you go, no, that's not true. So here are the primary concerns, the tensions, the trouble, and the challenges that these families have. Number one, they're lonely. They feel disconnected from people. They want community, but they have no time for it. Why? Because they're too busy working to get the toys or to get to the leisure. But they're lonely. They're lonely. So the, let's, let's try and fill this void of loneliness by putting stuff on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or Twitter or whatever else, Snapchat, so that people can see, I'm not lonely, look at how great my life is. Actually sucks, but hey, look at how pretty I am. Look at how great my family is. So they're lonely. Secondly, they're living in debt. They love the stuff and are buried by the burden of keeping up with the Joneses. Thirdly, the worship of kids. Life is consumed with giving their children the best of everything, both possessions and opportunities. They want to do better than their parents did, raising children who are happy, moral, and set up for professional success. This puts them under tremendous pressure to spend time, energy, money, and avoid boundary setting in the hope that their children won't go astray and will flourish. In other words, they want to be friends and not parents. And you only need to spend some time with Tracy to hear how many children, young people in our city, are committing suicide and harming themselves. And these aren't kids from destitute, working, poor homes. Right, Trace? These are affluent, well-off kids. And you know, you could argue, and I'm no expert, does this, is this rooted in the worship of them? I think culturally we have a problem and a tension. What if God's word is true and that we are the hope? Marriage tensions. Marriage tensions. After discovering that their spouse can't actually fulfill their deepest needs, the initial attraction has faded. Raising children is what holds them together and they are often waiting for kids to get older so they can move on and find someone new. That is totally 100% true. The number of marriages that are together just because of the worship of the kids. As soon as the kids leave, marriage breaks apart. This is in some way my world that I live in when I talk to people. Not every marriage, please don't hear me, but please hear me right. But what I'm saying is this tremendous marriage tension. Self-medication. Self-medication in any number of different ways, whether it be pornography, whether it be, uh, whether it be swinging, whether it be drug-taking, whether it be alcohol, whether it be um, any number of different ways to try and numb the pain and try and get it so that these things don't actually exist. Finally, church baggage. They're interested in Jesus and spirituality, but many have yet to meet a Christian that is happier and more fulfilled than them. They are somewhat turned off by grandma's church. Fitness, healthy eating, and socializing have become the replacements. So we have to contend for the gospel, and we need to contextualize the gospel. This, my friends, is the tension, trouble, transition that we are looking at when we think about Kelowna. This is who we've been called to. This is what I apply, the what if. What if God's scripture is true? What if that we as a church have in us the answer to these tensions, these problems, and his name is Jesus? 
See, in Ephesians 4.16, and this is not going to show, but it says this, from whom the whole body, Jesus, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, let's just keep this list up for a second. And, and I know this is a different kind of preach this morning. If this is your first time, welcome to the South. Um, this is what keeps me awake at night. And I'm not, that's not just a turn of phrase. Literally, this is what keeps me awake at night. How? This is the why. Why do we do what we do? To see life transformation. To see families healed. To see relationships whole. To see addictions being freed from. The why is so that our kids can grow up in families and go to school and they can be a light and they can be leaders and not self-medicating by the time they're nine. That's the why. And so what keeps me awake is how do we look at this and say, okay, how do we as a church in the South meet these needs? What if we did things differently? What if God is for us? What if we do climb that gorge? Maybe he will be with us. What if we started taking some risks? What would that look like? What if we saw our lives as a calling and not just as a group of activities? What if we were not too old to lead younger people to Jesus? What if we started to pray and come to Willowan Prayer every month? What if we all invited and brought someone to church? What if we started faith conversations with people? I I heard an amazing statistic this week. Lifeway have done a massive amount of research in North America, Canada and the U.S. So don't think, oh, well, that's just the deep south of American Bible Belt. It's not. This is Canada and America. What they found is this. Please listen to this. That 82% of unchurched people said that they would be willing to come to church if a friend invited them and came with them. 82%. So what this means is, is for every 10 people of your friends that you ask to come to church, that they are open to coming. So the statistic jumps up when something special happens. And Sarah and I were talking about this yesterday. What we do is this, is that we say, hey, you should come to church. And then they don't come. And we get discouraged. So here's what this statistic is showing us. And I understand that 68% of all statistics are made up. But this is, uh, this is actually research recently. Um, the key is, is coming with them come through those doors with them. Not, I'll meet you. Let's meet somewhere. We'll have coffee together. We'll do breakfast together. We'll go biking together, whatever it might be. Then we'll go to church together because we forget how scary those front doors are. Bringing people to church. Another amazing statistic. I want you to remember this. 79% of the people interviewed who were unchurched said this that they were open to talking about faith with a friend of theirs. See, we think that people are antagonistic. They're not. In fact, the same survey found this. One in 20 people were antagonistic. In other words, that they, they were like openly against, don't want to talk about it. One in 20. That's a really small amount. We think that 80% aren't interested, where actually it's complete opposite and then less 
So it means that when you start a conversation with somebody, if they are your friend, they are open to talking and open to being brought to church. And we find this to be true in our lives. People are open. People are open. So what if we actually started those faith conversations? I wonder whether some of these tensions would start getting relieved. What if we saw our jobs or our businesses as merely ways to fund our missionary work in Kelowna? What if we consistently pointed our kids towards Jesus, teaching them to thrive, teaching them to take risks and live in courageous lives of faith? What if church was not just an activity we did, but a movement we were involved in? What if everyone who called South their home gave and volunteered? What effect would it have in our community? See, in verse 32, it says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? We have a God on this Father's Day. We have a tremendous example of who God the Father is. He's a God who gives good gifts to his kids. He's a Father who says, I'm with you. I'm for you. No one is going to be against you. Just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep believing. Take risks, be courageous. That is the church that we've been called to be part of. And I want to pastor a church that is willing to take those risks and do things differently. So over the last few weeks, I've been praying about this a lot. I've been talking to a lot of you. So this is not being done in a vacuum. And I've taken some of the basic things we as a church want to see, whether it be based in our vision um, statement or whether it just be based in the life and the heart of our church. And I've put some numbers onto it. And this is what I came up with. That the what if we actually started believing God and his promises and took some steps. I, I wonder whether I wonder whether we this I guess this is my dream. Number one. That every South member this is what I dream about. That every South member is making disciples in their own sphere of influence. What if what if that happened? That he gave us all things. That that included that our Willow One prayer nights filled the church. That's a good goal. Another good goal is that we baptize 40 Southies on one day. Just in one day. Because that would reflect the first one. What if we set a goal that said we run three gatherings at the south on a weekend, serving a congregation of 750? What if we planted another church in the Okanagan Valley? What if our giving was over $650,000 as a community each year, almost doubling? What if we have 25 fully engaged, active community groups on mission in our neighborhoods? Right now, we have anywhere between 8 and 12. What if we had four really big days a year attracting 300 community people into our church every year? I wonder what start effect that would have. See, I think that the time has come as a church that we start believing that God has called us to do some things differently, to set some goals and start working hard towards them. But here's what I'm really aware of. And I say this really humbly. I can't do this by myself. As Wendy so lovingly put in her text. 
I, I, I can't do this by myself. And if there's any part of you going, well, let's just wait and see, you're already out. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Well, let's find out, shall we? You've already said, I'm not in. I'm just going to watch from the edges. I'm going to rate things. But I really feel that God's not made as a church like that. We have tremendous gifting in this place. We have tremendous amount of volunteering. We have huge commitment. And I'm really proud to be the South Pastor. And I guess what I'm doing is I'm just making a rally call. That What if God wants more? What if God's, God's desire looks like that? That would be a really great gorge to climb up. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jonathan when I preached on a few weeks ago. When he went, maybe God will be with us. That's a really good, maybe, maybe, maybe God's plan looks like this for the South. See, Christianity is about serving, it's about discipline, uh, discipling, and it's about living the life that God has given us. And I know these kind of sermons, remember I said at the beginning, come into my camp, this is how I, this is my mind, <laughs> you're welcome. But what it does is it causes me to pray. On my bad days, it causes me to weep. On my good days, which there's a lot of good days, I'm like, we can do this. There's my belief strength. We can do this. Why? Because my belief is not based on you. I love you, but not based on you. My belief is based on the God who's promised he's filled you. See, Rick Warren did this really helpful thing where he said every Christian in church, you see that scripture that I read earlier on, that when we all work together, Jesus will cause growth. That I really believe that the South could be an impactful community church in this mission area, serving that group that I described earlier on. But Rick Warren said this, and and I think this is quite helpful. He he describes it as the acronym SHAPE. Every one of you have got, we've got this norm, have got spiritual gifts, S. Every one of you have been given by Jesus spiritual gifts to use in this church for his glory to see people transformed who desperately need to see Jesus in their lives. Spiritual gifts, every one of you. Every one of you has a heart. In other words, not a physical heart, which clearly you have, but like a heart for something, something that just flicks your switch. And you can't understand why everybody's not got the same thing. We need that. Every one of you has got abilities, things that I don't have and things that the person next to you don't have, but we need your abilities. Every one of you has got a unique personality, amen, to that. We need your quiet, we need your loud. We need your excited We need your passionate, we need your money, we need your commitment, we need your volunteering, we need your hard work, because church together, what if he is for us and not against us? Wouldn't it be wonderful for us to tell our grandkids, I'm talking about me, some of you already got them, great grandkids, great great grandkids, write it down for your future generations of of the time when this church suddenly exploded in transformational growth. He's also given you experiences Unique experiences, unique backgrounds, unique ways of thinking, unique perspectives, and we need to hear that. So here's what I'm asking us to do, and I'm finishing with this. I want us to start asking ourselves some questions. The first one is this. Am I engaged in the life of my neighbors in a way that looks like every other person? Or am I engaged in such a way that my connections have been changed by the gospel. Here's a tough question. And by not show of hands, 
If I asked you to write down the names of your non-Christian friends, would you be able to write any name down? And how long would that list be? Because remember that 87% statistic? Was it 82? I can't remember now. That was based on friends. Can we, maybe the first thing we do is start really trying to engage with people who don't know Jesus. Another thing to ask yourself is if somebody were to look at how I use my time and my energy and my money, what would they learn about my priorities? Am I willing to use my time and talents by praying, inviting, turning up and volunteering? And I guess I've already said this one. How many non-Christian friends do I have and how often am I seeking to serve, pray for and invite them to church? In verse 34 of this same passage, it says this. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who indeed is interceding for us. What if that's true? What if we could see 40 people being baptized in one day who all come to the south? What if we could see 750 people coming to church? I know like people like Dan and Dahl go, oh my goodness, it's bad enough <laughs> getting the church, the chairs and the carping right for the group that we have. Wouldn't it be a great problem to have? What if we started getting complaints from our neighbors because of people having to park in front of their driveways? That would be awesome. I'd like those complaints. What if lives could be transformed because of us making a conscious effort to make, people, make friends with people who don't know Jesus and then pray for them and serve them and invite them to church? What if? What if? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that you died for us. That, Lord, that we become 